Holy crap, no way! You're listening to Fan Holes, a Transformers comic book science fiction and fantasy podcast! Oh no, they're towing away my Nissan Stanza! Hey everybody, welcome back to Fan Holes. Nanu Nanu, this is Derek calling Tony. Derek calling Tony. What's that, Tony? You can't make it tonight. Well, guys, sadly, uh, I guess Tony can't be with us for tonight's recording session, so uh, it'll be up to me to fill in for him as host. So our topics this week include some fan-requested roundtable questions from fellow bot talker Andy Clewell, a.k.a. Big Bot, who asks the fan holes how they feel about the current state of Hollywood in regards to originality of concepts. Over in cartoons, we'll be discussing the currently airing animated series, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. Our comic discussion this week involves the Marvel Cosmic Event miniseries titled The Thanos Imperative. And last but not least, in our For the Future segment, we'll be sharing our thoughts about the recently released trailer to the rise of the Planet of the Apes. Tony may be stuck in the negative zone this week for all we know, but let's go ahead and do the regular fan holes roll call. So you got me, Derek, also known as Derek WC. Hey guys and gals, this is Brian, Breakdown on the forums. Hello everyone, it's Mike, Thunderwing. This is Justin Grimlock. Big butt? How do you feel? Alright, so we're going to go into a roundtable question this week. And this was sent to us by Andy, a fellow Botalk member. And he uh, was kind enough to send us an email, and he also mentioned it in one of the threads. So I'm just going to read what he wrote to us, and then we're going to go around and sort of see what everybody thinks about his question. Andy wrote to us, What are your thoughts on the current state of Hollywood? Hollywood is looking to the comic industry to fuel their quote-unquote creativity. Do you have issues with that? Question. They did that before, but without the same success, period. Look at the 80s Punisher, Howard the Duck, and others. Although DC did have more success. I am a bit new to the comic scene, but I find it exciting to see these characters coming to life. So, Justin, do you have anything to say about Andy's question? Is there any opinions you have about Hollywood and how Hollywood does comic movies in general or anything relating to that? Uh, I guess just... Since uh, the first X-Men movie came out, it just seems like Hollywood went completely insane for any kind of semi-popular comic book property. You know, look at uh, all the comic book movies coming out this year. You know, we got another X-Men movie. We got Cap, Thor, The Green Lantern. Um, yeah, it just seems like everything's a remake, a reboot, or some kind of Hollywood interpretation of an already established uh, property. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I think like Hollywood's sort of uh, basically now more than ever, just having you know lived in L.A. for a while and just talking to different people who are involved in writing screenplays or pitching things. Uh, you know, it's it's more than ever. It's a no risk money making venture. You know, they want to see something solidified before they go ahead and make anything. And sometimes that's you know a pre existing comic book property you know sometimes it's like what you're talking about it's a remake or you know they have you know prepackaged movies where if you know if you have leo dicaprio in a movie and he's tied to you know christopher nolan then that's that's a go it might not be a you know a pre existing property but at least in you know the producers minds they have a guaranteed 
ticket, you know, a guaranteed butt in the seat, and that's kind of, you know, what they lean towards. Uh, what about you, Mike? Do you have anything to say about, uh, you know, Andy's question with, you know, in relation to maybe the Spider-Man movies or anything else in particular? Yeah, I definitely agree with both what you and Justin have said. I think they're just they're trying to bank on recognized brands. Uh, some part of it is banking on like nostalgia almost, you know, bank on people's childhoods or even, you know, just uh, fan bases, basically. I mean, uh, like being a geek is like cool nowadays. It's like retro chic almost, and you know they're they're. I think they're trying to like you know build on that. I guess, or, or I should not build on it. I guess uh, milk it. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, like like I was saying before, some of my my friends that I know have pitched different series and tried to write certain screenplays. I, I notice sometimes the the way that they think about it is just in terms of a brand, like a brand name. I, I remember a friend of mine. Once told me this, and since it's never going to get made, I don't think he'll mind if I share this story. But they were working on uh, pitching a Baywatch movie, and the original concept for it was it was going to be this big budget action movie. You know, it was going to be Baywatch. You know, and Michael Bay was going to direct it, and shit was going to explode and stuff or whatever. And that's how they originally went with it. And then when the studio sort of saw it, and they were all, okay, well we've got a name brand. You know, people know it exists. Like, that's basically how they pitched it. They go, 50 million people worldwide, you know, whatever it is. You know, 6 billion people watch Baywatch, and they know what it is. It's a brand name. It's recognized. You can put it on lunchboxes and underoos and whatever. Like, this is gold. You know, but when, when they saw the script and how much money would have to be spent for an action-type movie... Then they were like, uh, especially the way the economy was and everything. And so they ended up kind of going, well, can we make this a comedy? And by the end of it, by the time I got to my friend, he was like doing some kind of, you know, potential uh, rewrite for it as basically like Son of the Beach or something like that. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, all they really care about is sort of like the name. You know, it's like they they, they like that Jonah Hex is a name brand, but they'll go ahead and give them Gatling guns and make them talk to dead people and do whatever the hell they want with them to sort of serve their movie and not really, you know, care about whatever it is. And they, they hope they're gambling that, you know, the people that already know the name brand will come in and see it. And then, you know, if other people watch it, then, then it's a positive, but sometimes it doesn't always work out that way. I think do more with less. That's the, that's the line of thought in today's yeah. economy. Pretty yeah, much. Yeah. I guess that's also how we're ending up with this new uh, Planet of the Apes movie. You know, there were there were five original movies. There was a cartoon. There was a short-lived TV series. You know, there was the Tim Burton fiasco movie of uh, about ten years ago, which may have been a you know critical failure, but it did make a lot of money. So I guess that's why we're getting this one. I guess they kind of looked at it and was like, okay, we've got this Planet of the Apes franchise. You know. Last movie, maybe not have been that good, but it does make money, so let's give it another try. Yeah, I, I think that the same could be said for something like The Karate Kid. I mean, it's The Karate Kid in name only, you know, but they know that, the you know, instead of calling it The Kung Fu Kid, like it probably should be called, you know, they call it The Karate Kid and, you know, bank on the name brand that that will get some... Uh, some Derek, sh shouldn't it have been called Will Smith's Kid? 
Yes, Will, Will Smith's kid, who, who I kind of like feel sorry for, because if anybody has to get uh, rocking abs at six years old, you know they're down the line, are going to be in for a, a world of torment in the future, probably. Um, so, Brian, uh, you, you have anything to say about, you know, what you think about Hollywood and Hollywood's creativity versus, you know, pre-existing established properties? Well, I think I share some of Andy's, like, optimism and excitement, Um Pretty much, I think even a two-year-old could tell you that they kind of trend more toward <laughs> adaptations now rather than original stuff. But in a lot of cases, that's that's really fine with me because, I mean, even just this weekend, I saw, like, Kick-Ass for the first time. And okay. man, I, I loved it, you know? So I really do look forward to, like, more comic movies coming out. Not only more, but they Hollywood seems to be getting better and better at making them, too. Yeah, I have to say, I, I enjoyed the Kick-Ass movie actually a lot better than I did the comic books. So in some senses, you know, uh, when people say, you know, oh, they turned a movie Hollywood, you know, sometimes that could be viewed as a negative comment, but sometimes it can also be a positive thing too. So it's good that we yeah. have people that are, you know, excited about different properties and everything. I was, I was going to say they did the same thing with Wanted, and I think, you know, Wanted was a superior product to the comic. So, you know. <laughs> I was just going to say I might catch some flack from uh, comic purists for this, but um, Watchmen also falls along those lines where the ending in the movie, like to me at least, made a lot more sense than the original ending of the book did. So I actually like the the adaptation that Hollywood did. Squids forever! <laughs> Alien squids! I'll crowd the tears of frustration for the lack of the squid. So Andy also had another half of his question to ask us, and Andy writes... Also, uh, will there be more Transformers movies after Michael Bay's run, question mark? I really think this reboot of Spider-Man is a bit early. It annoys me a bit because two out of the three movies were decent, in my opinion, question mark. It seems odd. Yep. As long as it's a recognizable name brand, they'll definitely have more movies. As long as they can make money off it, you know. It's going to take, Then this is kind of ironic, because a lot of people already think it is there, but it's going to take, like, a Batman and Robin for, like, some of these, like, franchises to die now. And some people probably already think Transformers is there, but, you know, even even as bad as number two was, it still made a lot of money, so, you know. Yeah. Same with Spider-Man 3. Yeah. I think reboots also bring, like, a lot of people back. Like, uh, speaking of Transformers specifically, I don't I don't believe I saw the second one in the theater after seeing the first one there. And I know for sure I won't see the third one there, but if it does get rebooted and it has a chance to be decent, you know, I'd pay 14 bucks to go see it again. Yeah, speaking for myself, I, I have yet to see any of the Transformers movies. So if they made some without Michael Bay or maybe rebooted the franchise, I would consider maybe going to check those out. And, um, you know... As far as will there be more Transformers movies? Yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. I mean, if like you guys said, if they keep making money. Um, as far as like the Spider-Man reboot, maybe being too early. I, I you know, everybody knows I, I don't have the most popular opinion regarding Spider-Man movies. You know, I, I think saying two out of the three movies were decent is kind of being overly generous. <laughs> so to me, I. My my take on it is I just look forward to seeing a different interpretation. You know, to me, and and I know there's I know Brian doesn't like uh, you know Batman Begins or anything, but to me, it, it's kind of like well, this could be you know the the Raimi movies could be like the Burton movies to 
the you know Nolan Batman movies. You know, who knows? Right. Maybe this new reboot has a chance to be even you know a, an interpretation that I would enjoy that much more. So that that's kind of you know I guess my uh, optimistic, enthusiastic sort of point of view on on a reboot for Spider Man. Justin, you you have anything else to say about Transformers or Spider Man or anything? As far as Transformers go, I can't imagine the third one being worse. I mean, unless the you know character design somehow got worse, and if they threw in Polly Shore or something, I guess that would be worse. <laughs> um, would Polly Shore be a Transformer, or would he just be a human-like supporting character? I guess he'd be like a pretender, and he would you know be he'd be there with Bumblebee peeing all the, all over everybody or something. Right. I don't know. He's like, the juice. <laughs> yeah. And then he um, tried to encase everyone in a biodome. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna see the third movie in theaters. I'll probably even see it on opening day, just because I still get a little enjoyment out of watching robots beat themselves up and everything. Yeah, me even, too. You know, even if it's not what I personally would have done with the movie, I'm still I still get a little enjoyment out of it. I still get a little thrill out of seeing the characters, even if they don't look like what I would do with them. But uh, I'm still going to see it. I would probably see any kind of Transformers movie, animated, live action, or otherwise. Um, for Spider-Man, I, I think it is a little too soon for a reboot. Um, I think they could have just recasted all the roles and continued from the third one, or maybe just ignored the third one a little bit. Um, but I'm still going to watch the new Spider-Man. I'm optimistic about this new Spider-Man. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I, I saw both Transformers the first nights, and yeah, I still got it, even though I didn't think ultimately they turned out to be that good, I still got a lot of charge out of seeing a lot of stuff on screen. Yeah, even if I don't agree with uh, Prom ripping off somebody's face, uh, <laughs> there are still some pretty neat uh, fights and everything, and things blow up, so, you know. Uh, listen, we've got a bit of a problem, the gang and I. Gang stuff, listen up. Last night, we were out at this old abandoned cotton mill, and... I know. One of your homies took one in the bobo. No! Actually, Shaggy and Scooby were arrested. It was awful! Now you see why banging doesn't pay. Well, I, I hope uh, Andy feels like we, we answered his question as thoroughly and as detailed as we can. Uh, we're going to go ahead and move on. Our next topic has to do with the recently uh, released cartoon series, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. This is currently airing on Cartoon Network. It aired about... 13 or so episodes so far, I think. And now they're showing some of the episodes, the newer episodes, up in uh, Canada right now. Uh, brief synopsis for people who might not be familiar with it. Uh, it's a new animated series. Uh, it has some of the old cast returning. Uh, the directors that are working on it now are Victor Cook, who used to work on Spectacular Spider-Man, and Kurt Gaeta, who worked on Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series, Batman Beyond, X-Men Evolution, and some direct-to-video animation that you might be familiar with, like Turok or Ultimate Avengers. So, uh, you know, I've been watching the show, uh, but I know Justin's a pretty big fan of it, too, so I'll open it to him as well. Yeah, I really dig this new series. I like the redesigns on all the characters, and I guess the biggest change, and you'll probably talk about this a little bit more at length, Derek, but uh, the biggest change they've thrown at us is the uh, Shaggy and uh, Velma relationship. They've kind of pushed those two into being kind of a couple, at least for a little while there, and I wasn't really comfortable with that idea at first, I guess. It was a little weird, uh, but the more, they, the more they explored it, the more I kind of grew to like it, and 
they've kind of moved beyond that storyline a little bit now. Now it's kind of uh, Fred and Daphne getting a little bit of their moment in the sun. But uh, overall, I really kind of dug the Velma Shaggy uh, storyline. I don't know how you're going to react to that, Derek. I I just was trying to review some of my old you know threads on Bot Talk and stuff just to sort of remind myself like for when I was getting ready for this podcast how I felt about it. Um, but it, all I'm going to say about it is that that I, I put that Velma Shaggy relationship in my you know I had a pro and cons list of of what I thought about Scooby Doo Mystery Incorporated and uh, Velma and Shaggy was one of the cons. But it's not just because they put them in a relationship. Uh, it, it's not the typical thing where people say, oh, yeah, Saved by the Bell was great until everybody started dating everybody and it gets all incestuous and stuff. Or, you know, however those kind of, you know, young teen relationship shows go, you know, eventually everybody's dated everybody else by the time you get to the 10th season and you wonder why everybody doesn't all catch STDs from everybody else or whatever. <laughs> but in this, uh, the, the only thing that I can say is it, as far as the live action movies go, in the, the Lake Monster movie, they also tried to set up a kind of relationship between Velma and Shaggy, and I just thought it was a little sweeter, it was a little nicer. I, I think some of this is, show is, 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 you know, more adult than Avengers almost. You know, the ghosts are really, really kind of scary looking. I mean, I would think if you were like three or five or, I, you know, I don't know, I'm not a good gauge on that. I don't have kids myself, but... They they seem like the ghosts are really, really scary. It seems like the Velma Shaggy relationship was kind of dirty, you know? It's kind of like, oh, they're secret, you know, they're secret lovers, you know? Yeah, like, they were all sneaking they, out and stuff. They were sneaking out, you know, probably to go make out or whatever they were going to do. And it seemed like it was kind of a lot if you were trying to sell that to kids. You know, even the parents, like, there was weird stuff that would catch me off guard in the first couple episodes where, you know, I think it was like Shaggy's parents were posing for nude portrait night. And I'm just, they're going, what the <laughs> you know, like I was kind of taken aback by that. Like it seemed kind of strange. So those were all kind of in my my negative cons about the show. But I mean, as far as like the positive shows, you know, I you know I don't want to exaggerate. I mean, you know, maybe people think I see too much that's there or whatever. You know, that's not there. But I just thought, as far as the Velma Shaggy relationship, it seemed pretty suggestive, as opposed to say the relationship in the live action Lake Monster movie, which just kind of seemed sort of sweet and innocent. And I was more disappointed at the end of that when they decided to just be friends, as opposed to on this show when they finally kind of you know call it quits or whatever they do in the middle of the season. You know, spoilers. Sorry, <laughs> but when they finally like sort of break up or whatever, um, I was kind of like, oh, thank God, you know. But um, as far as, like, the, the pros, you know, the animation style's really, really awesome. Um, you know, I, I think it's kind of cool that the ghosts are kind of frightening. You know, I guess some of the older shows, I don't think I've watched Scooby-Doo since maybe 1987, I think. Yeah, I, I remember when it was, like, uh, just Scrappy-Doo, Shaggy, and, and Scooby, and I was like, what the hell happened to the rest of them? You know, they went to a peace conference. <laughs> But they were gone for a little while. So I remember watching old Scooby-Doo up until, like, 1987. You know, I was born in 77, so I was, like, watching Scooby-Doo since I was a little kid till about 1987. And then I kind of didn't follow it very much. And I kind of started watching this show because everybody was talking about it, and the animation style looked really cool. And uh, another pro to me are uh, all the little cameos. I mean, I'm not a Hanna-Barbera expert by any means, but there were, like, so many 
different things, you know, that I would notice. And then there's plenty of things that I don't even notice where people say, oh, hey, by the way, did you catch this? Did you catch that? Like to me, I, I kind of was like, hey, the legend of Alice May in that episode. I'm like, hey, Alice May looks just like Gwen Stacy to me. You know, uh, you know, I, I remember, I think, Justin, it was you who posted, you know, hey, did everybody catch the Pebbles and Bam Bam cameo at the beach in Revenge of the Man Crab or, you know, the, the War of the Gargantuas reference in the Battle of the Humongonauts episode. So and, and then my favorite episode was because I love, you know, team ups and, you know, Forever Red and, you know, any kind of, you know, X-Men Spider-Man, any kind of cool Batman Superman team up. Um I really loved the uh, Mystery Solvers Club State Finals, which was the 14th episode where they team up with, you know, Sp Scooby-Doo teams up with Speed Buggy, Jabberjaw, Captain Caveman is flying around like Thor, you know, bashing boats with his club, and, and then the Funky Phantom. So, I mean, I thought all that stuff was really great. Um, what about you, Mike? Did you get a chance to watch any of the episodes? Do you have any take on that? I watched, that? like, two, I think, uh, or, like, one and a half more or less, but, uh, I don't know, Scooby-Doo's never been really a big deal for me, all I have are memories of, like, you know, before going to school, and I'll, like, you know, it's, like, the last half hour before school starts, and it's, like, I have time to watch one TV program, and I'm, like, flipping through channels, and, like, the only cartoon on is Scooby-Doo, and I'm, like, oh, Scooby-Doo, <laughs> so it's, like, it's, like, almost got a negative connotation in my head, it's, like, where's Transformers, or... Or G.I. Joe or Batman or something. Why why do I have to watch Scooby Doo before I go to class? But no, um I actually I watched the team up episode you just described, Derek, and I I, I thought it was pretty funny. I, I liked um when at at the beginning when they're like Scooby's sick and they're like, Oh well, we can't go to the finals now, Scooby's sick and Fred goes, Oh, well excuse me a minute and he walks off he walks off screen and then you hear him go in the next room, No, why? Why? And he comes back all casual, like, Thanks. And also, yeah, I was gonna say, you were right, like um the ghost in that episode is like a flaming head Dormammu type guy and I was yeah, like, Wow. Yeah. I was like, that's actually pretty, you know, scary for a kid's show. So I definitely saw, you know, the more, like, almost mature or, you know, more extreme uh, take on the show. I was, I, I was also laughing at uh, Captain Caveman when he, when they, they find, like, all their, like, uh, human friends have been turned into, like, guinea pigs or whatever. And Captain Caveman's like, what? Now teens no longer give Captain Caveman scented bath? <laughs> I was like, what the hell? Yeah. I thought that was really funny, but, you know. Um, hey, Brian, Brian, I was just going to ask. I'm just kind of curious since I, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I know I know you uh, you were saying in the email you are going to put your daughter to bed, and I was just wondering, did you watch any of these episodes? And if you did, is this something that you, like, w w at what point would you consider letting your daughter watch this show? Well, um, first let me thank you guys for mentioning Jabberjaw and Captain Caveman. I don't think I've thought about those guys in like 20 years. So it really <laughs> brings a smile back to my face to remember those dudes. Um, but actually, I think me and Mike are secret brothers this show because um, I've, I've really never liked Scooby-Doo, although I promise not to disparage those that do. Um, but even his line about as a kid, like wanting something else on, I was trying to think of like other comparisons I could make. And uh, the things I came up with would be like, you turn on the TV and it's Thunder the Bar Barbarian, but you really want to watch Thundercats. 
Or, you know, you turn on the TV and it's GoBots, but obviously you want to watch Transformers. So, uh, I don't know. It always seemed like a somewhat... So is, is there is there some other cool cartoon dog that you'd rather be watching in that analogy? Um, Not at all. That, that's almost any other cartoon would, would have probably been preferable. Like, I think most of the time I just turned Scooby-Doo off. Um, okay. More recently, my my daughter is only two and a half, and I have caught some episodes, and she likes pretty much any cartoon, um, so she'll sit and watch them, and she seems to enjoy them, but um, typically I end up turning them off because I don't want my daughter, you know, having nightmares of like a pirate zombie skeleton that's yeah. uh, driving everyone away from the ski resort because they found a gold right. mine or something. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I think she's a little young, but, I mean, she would enjoy it if I let her watch it. So, uh, Tony, uh, do you have any other thoughts or opinions on uh, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated? Oh, very, very insightful. Very insightful. Tony, those that was such a meaningful and, like, poignant comment. You know, I think I really need to give the show a second chance. Thank you. Frankly, sir, I found your comments shallow and pedantic. Lady Chaos, my twin flame, I thank you for the release, the joy that our love brings, and offer you this small gift of annihilation, and the promise of more to come. Okay, so, uh, seems like we've uh, done all the Scooby-Doo we can do for today. Uh, we're going to move on to our comics discussion for this week, and this has been a long-awaited uh, comic discussion for, for Brian in particular. Uh, he's been really pushing us to uh, discuss the Thanos Imperative, and uh, the Thanos Imperative was a, uh, a six-issue miniseries that details the cosmic heroes of the Marvel Universe, and they're fighting what is called the Cancerverse, or, you know, kind of what I like to joke as is the Cthulhu Marvelverse or whatever. Um, and so, uh, basically, you've got uh, your cosmic guys like the Guardians of the Galaxy, Nova, the Inhumans leading the Kree, uh, Gladiator leading the Shi'ar Empire, and Blastar in the negative zone. You have these cosmic people that are being accosted by uh, an evil team called the Revengers, which are kind of like evil uh, Avengers. And uh, for me, I, I thought maybe after the whole, uh, you know, I was kind of getting sick of the whole Marvel Zombies, Blackest Night, Ex Necrotia, like all this kind of like, you know, in my head when I saw the, the preview art for it, I was kind of thinking, oh, no, not more dead fucking assholes from another <laughs> universe, you know. <laughs> But when I read the story, like, it's actually pretty well done, and they're, they're not actually dead people. It's kind of a twist on it. it, it it's more of a take that they're, they're life that just won't stop growing. So it's kind of like they're the whole Lovecraftian, you know, Cthulhu take over your, you know, uh, uh, body type thing. And, and uh, I think uh, uh, DNA, you know, uh, described it, the writers, as... Uh, kind of like a a garden, you know, a shrubbery that, that is not clipped, you know, it just kind of a garden that grows wild and uncontrollable where the vines are just all over the place and the house looks like crap, you know, and that's basically what the cancer verse was supposed to be. So um, I, I'm going to throw it to Brian because I know he was he was really chomping at the bit to uh, talk about this with you guys. So what wh what are you, some of your thoughts on the Thanos Imperative, Brian? Um, I really enjoyed it, um, but I've been enjoying all this galactic stuff that's been going on the last three or four years. Um, 
up until they actually did the uh, Heart of Darkness for Transformers, I really thought Abnet and Lanning could do no wrong. Um, but at least in the Marvel Marvel Universe, they haven't done any wrong yet, in my opinion. Um, there's just a lot of, like, standout moments in this book that make it, like, a really good read for me. Um, like, especially toward the, toward the middle of the book or so, there's kind of like a super team of cosmic uh, Marvel guys put together. It's in, it ends up being, like... Um, Let's see, it's Gladiator, Quasar, Silver Surfer, um, Better Ray Bill. Like, all these awesome, like, super powerful guys. And one yeah, and Ronan the Accuser. Yeah, Ronan's well. in there. So that's, like, you know, amazingly badass to see such, a, like, a, a wicked team put together. And then there's, like... Yeah, just, just in case anybody doesn't know, uh, the, the, they're called the Annihilators. They have their own comic now, a miniseries. But they're they're kind of like the NBA dream team of the cosmic Marvel universe. It's kind of like all the big heavy hitters. And in in uh, in the Thanos imperative, there's a, a really great two page spread where they kind of look like there's only six of them, but they they kind of look like the Magnificent Seven. You know, they're all doing the the Reservoir Dogs slow motion <laughs> shot where they're walking down the hall together, or the right stuff. You know, where they're about to take off in the uh, the uh, space shuttle, you know, so they look really, really awesome and stuff like that. Yeah. I'll keep going, Brian. Um, I wanted to say that Silver Surfer actually gets in a really decent joke. It actually caused me to laugh out loud. Um, Nova and some of the bigger cosmic guys are going up against, I think, the the Revengers for the first time. And uh, Nova's coming in. He's saying, okay, guys, we got to watch our back. These are this universe's heavy hitters, speaking about the Revengers. And then Silver Surfer, like, vaporizes, like, three of them at once. And he kind of turns to Nova and he's like, hmm, sometime you and I should sit down and have a uh, discussion on the meaning of that term. So, <laughs> yeah, what's great about that is like the follow up where they're like, dude, Surfer just did deadpan trash talk. Right, right. So, yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Justin, do you uh, do you have anything you want to go into about uh, the Thanos imperative and all the, the the annihilators or Thanos or the Guardians? I know you're a big fan of the Guardians and Rocket Raccoon and Groot and those guys. Like, do you have anything you want to get into about that? Or yeah, I kind of blame uh, the whole cosmic stuff that's been going on since Annihilation. I blame all that for getting me back into reading Marvel comics because the past kind of past several years, I've been a big DC fan. And lately, I just I slacked off. I've only been picking up like the brightest day. And uh, you know, I've been following Annihilation, and then I've followed each you know uh, little cosmic mini series that followed it. And it seemed like from that, I just kind of uh, branched out and was picking up more and more Marvel comics than DC. Um, but yeah, I've started with uh, Guardians, and I mean, I absolutely. Love that comic. I think it's a great mix of humor, action, uh, science fiction, um, and it's sadly it's ceased publication since the end of Thanos Imperative. And we have yeah, they they keep saying that uh, Nova and Guardians are on hiatus, but I think it's the same kind of hiatus that that falls certain shows where they're like, oh yeah, Wolverine and the X Men cartoon is going on hiatus, and you know all these yeah. other you know whatever they are, they're going on hiatus like permanent hiatus. Yeah, and I'm pretty sad about that because I really love that book. I mean, uh, I've read the first two issues of Annihilators, and it's got a lot of p- potential, and I've always liked all those characters that are on the team anyway. But while I really dig Annihilators, I just – it doesn't fill that void that uh, – it doesn't fill the void for Guardians of the Galaxy in my opinion. 
Yeah, it seemed like there were a lot of um, a lot of other characters. I know they have the Rocket Raccoon and the the Groot backup story, but you know, besides you know, you in the Guardians, you know, you had you had Vance Astro and Gamora and Adam Warlock and Moon Dragon and you know all the other you know Guardians that were there. So I, I can see why you kind of wonder, well, hey, what what you know what's going on with all these other guys too? Yeah, um, it's funny though. Uh, as a kid reading comics. Uh, I think I picked up like one or two issues of the 90s version of Guardians, and I didn't really really like it at all. I thought it was like they were trying to do like lame Avengers in space or something. So I was just like, ah, that's stupid. I'm not gonna read that. Yeah, I actually, I actually read Guardians of the Galaxy, the first series, the first volume, for a really long time. Um, I, 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 you know, I think I stopped reading it somewhere around the period where Jim Valentino left to go do Shadowhawk for Image. Mm-hmm. But I, I at least read, you know, up until the 30s or so. And then I think every once in a while, you know, I kind of, you know, piped back in just to sort of see what was going on. Like when they finally got, um, you know, uh, Vance Astro out of his uh, little cryo suit or whatever it was, you know, and different things like that. But I, I remember reading that for a long time. I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was, you know, I, I but see me, I'm always like sci-fi space, you know, equals goodness to me for some reason, even if it's terrible. So maybe, maybe it's a horrible comic book, but I just don't care because they're floating around in outer space, you know, and fighting the Stark <laughs> and, uh, you know, all this goofy hmm. shit that's yeah. going on back then. Also, I really liked how from that first Thanos miniseries that kind of went into Annihilation, Thanos has like this big character arc because he at the beginning of that Thanos miniseries he's starting out he's you know just gave up all these godlike powers he's had and he's kind of going on his journey to you know try and fix things you know albeit in his own kind of warped Thanos way and then that leads into Annihilation and uh, spoilers uh, Drax actually kills him and then he's gone for a while he's out of it and he finally gets resurrected in this and this his character arc just kind of comes to its conclusion when he's, uh, you know, fighting uh, the cancerous guys. Yeah, I, I will say that I'm I'm a big fan of Thanos, so it's cool to see him written well in anything, and I think they have a good handle on his character. As far as like classic looks versus uh, more recent looks, I was kind of happy to see in in the Thanos Imperative that Drax kind of looks a little more like his classic self. Uh, as opposed to, I don't know, I call it that kind of Vin Diesel with tattoos look that he had in like some of the more recent Annihilation books. Yeah, I didn't, but, uh, I didn't dig that look of his either. Okay, Mike, is there is there any thoughts you'd like to offer up on the Thanos Imperative that we haven't gone into or shared? Well, I'm unlike you guys, like I'm not really a fan of. Well, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm not a fan, but I'm just not like it doesn't appeal to me the cosmic portion of the Marvel universe. Like it's funny, like uh you said Derek, like space equals cool to you basically. Right, right. That's, that's my mindset when it comes to like Transformers, but when it comes to like Marvel comics, I'm like, no, I'd rather just be in like, you know, a city somewhere, you know, doing street level junk and whatever or what but I know, but I, I really enjoyed this. I mean, I didn't there was some things I didn't get just because I haven't I didn't read Annihilation. Um the only cosmic stuff I've been following is the X-Men threads. Like, I read, you know, uh, uh, Rise and Fall of Shi'ar and all the way through. I've basically followed Vulcan's story, and that kind of ended in War of Kings. So that's, like, the extent of my knowledge. So I didn't, you know, I didn't know, like, 
the Guardians of the Galaxy, what their stake in this was or anything. Uh, I know they pop up a little bit in War of Kings, but not as much as like anyone else. But uh, I really enjoyed this. Um, you said uh, you like it like when Thanos is written well. Uh, that there was a scare like a, a couple weeks ago with that issue of Avengers, and I was like, oh no, Thanos popped up and Bendis is writing him. Oh, this is gonna piss someone off. But it, <laughs> it, it, thankfully, it turned out not to be Thanos. So you know, I, oh really? I was, yeah, well, it, yeah, it was just Doctor Strange like disguising himself as Thanos. Because <laughs> that that that. That just means that Doctor Strange was written poorly instead of Thanos. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm cool with that. Yeah, but um, in whatever case, um, Brian mentioned like uh, you know, DNA. They they're also writing that new Transformers series, Hearts of Darkness or whatever. And I just find it funny that they did that and Infestation, which both focus on another universe coming into the regular universe with full of like people of like dead people or you know. And I just thought that was kind of funny that. After reading Thanos Imperative, I was like, "Oh, so they've used this story before? Okay, well that yeah, they of... must have some some fascination with the whole Lovecraftian." Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, but, but unlike the Transformers books, it was done actually very well in the Thanos Imperative, so I was happy for that. But um, I enjoyed a lot um, seeing characters that I haven't like thought about in years. Like I was like, "Hey, it's Mantis." What the hell happened to her? And like, you know, yeah, yeah I had the same feeling about that too. And Drax, and yeah, and I was like, I haven't thought about some of these characters in years. And you know, it's, it's like even like Silver Surfer. Like I can't remember the last time I read a story with Silver Surfer in it. I mean. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Silver Surfer fan, so I mean, as far as Annihilation goes, it, it, to me, it was nice to see him, kind of like Brian was saying, you know, being a badass and running around and, and doing stuff. Yeah, that was. What, was the, I, I, I I remember like some of the series that came out in like 2000 or the mid. It was like Volume Three and Volume Four or whatever you want to call them. There were these mini series, and like they, I don't know, Marvel had this weird habit of. You know, basically, like, the whole miniseries was about uh, a family in Africa. And, like, on the last page, Silver Surfer flew by. And I'm just kind of like, this is, like, about Silver Surfer? Like, really? Like, what the hell? You know, like, it was just kind of like, it's like, it was basically like somebody's story, which doesn't mean it's a bad story. It doesn't mean that the art was bad, but it's just like, you know, it's sold as like a Silver Surfer comic with him in outer space on the cover. And then most of it, you know, takes place somewhere else. You know, and then, oh, yeah, and Silver Surfer flies by at the last page. And I'm just kind of like, this is really strange. Um, so it's nice to see Silver Surfer in his element and, and you know, in in the spaceways like he's sold as being and stuff like I that. Want, I actually wanted to ask you guys, uh, I think he shows up the first time in the, that series in the, in the Thanos Imperative with Galactus. So I was wondering, is he back to being Galactus's Herald yeah. again? Or? Yeah, yeah, he's Galactus's oh, Herald. Okay, yeah, I was wondering with that. That was a cool scene, actually, with the, when uh, Galactus and the uh, Celestials... Yeah, that uh, doesn't. Great... Yeah, that, I thought mm-hmm. that was a really nice visual. Um, it's a great two-page spread where they're blocking all the ships. It reminded me of like if, if anybody's seen uh, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine and how they have all their ships in the Dominion War and they're like all these, you know, different fighters and ships like basically going up against each other. It's just basically Galactus and like you know five or six Celestials like holding off. Like this big armada, you know, these two armadas clashing with each other, and it's it's very vast and epic, kind of like how they try to describe uh, the authority as widescreen storytelling. Well, this is 
you know, wide, wide, wide screen storytelling, I guess. I was going to say, um, I know you guys, Derek, you said you like read the original Galic- uh, Guardians of the Galaxy book, but like to me, the original Guardians of the Galaxy are still like the lamos who are taking away like uh, panel time from the Avengers when I was reading the Korvac saga as a kid. So yeah. you know, I was like, who are these guys and why, what are they doing here? I want to read about the Avengers. Taking away screen time yeah. from but, the beast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, um, I gotta say, I like this new Guardians of the Galaxy team. It like, I like the ragtag feel of it. Like, the, it's just like anyone's thrown in. Like, you've got like, what's his face, uh, Jack Flag. Like, uh, yeah, I, I last saw him in like T bolts getting crippled by Bullseye, but I guess he's okay now and in space for some reason. <laughs> um, yeah, he was. I think he was in the the negative zone prison. That's what somehow. I was figuring. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then they they basically met up with him there during the uh, the annihilation event. Yeah, in space your legs just kind of float there too, so it doesn't really matter if you can't move. That's true. Space. You're just drifting. And he's still rocking the tie dye hair, and yeah. Hey Mike, did you read any of Annihilation, or did you steer clear? No, I I did not. Like I said, my my only cosmic experience of the last like few years has been like. Vulcan's whole storyline. I read like Rise and Fall of Shi'ar, then Emperor Vulcan, then uh, what is it, X Men Kingbreaker, and then War- right. yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Those were all really yeah. great comics too. I loved all that stuff. Yeah, and then and then on top of that, I think Nova and Guardians were just really really solid books. It's a shame they uh, they are on infinite hiatus. I, I was I was gonna say also uh, like uh, uh, more characters like I haven't seen like uh, I was I, I was surprised to learn that uh, what's her face Namorita is back alive again. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, just it was really nice to see a bunch of characters that I haven't thought of in a while. So I, I, this might be a weird uh, twist, but it's not exactly a character we haven't seen in a while, but maybe a point of view on a character that I just wanted to bring up, and I thought it was really interesting that. Uh, while for a long, I guess, you know, in our time, a long time, Scarlet Witch has been sort of reviled in the mainstream 616 Marvel Universe since, you know, Disassembled and all the, the House of M and all the crap that went down with that. But I, I, I found it refreshing, at least, since it's been so long, you know, that that's almost status quo now that Scarlet Witch is, you know, uh, an evil so-and-so. That uh, here, the Revengers version of the Scarlet Witch and the Vision are actually, you know, secret good guys. Yeah, you know? <laughs> she, she actually you know, plays that same beat in um, Reign of Kings as well. When like Quasar's captured by the Revengers, did you guys read any of that? I think I, I remember that. Yeah, but it's been like a while since I read it. Like they they played the cards really close to their chest, and you didn't know exactly who the Revengers were. Basically, they just went Quasar went into this other universe and uh, met up with some bad Avengers. Um, but in that instance, too, uh, it's like Wanda and Vision's, like, hiding inside her body. Um, they're the ones that help Quasar escape, so. I was going to say, um, all, like, I've, like I said, I'm, I've never really been in, interested in the, like, space and cosmic aspects of Marvel, but all they would have, have to do to get me to buy one of their, like, cosmic space books is make Death's Head a regular cast member, and I'd just buy it just for him, pretty much, so. So if, if you hear a, a Marvel, just include Death's Head in the next cosmic event. Exactly. I mean, as I, I was even thinking, like, do do Marvel uh, even have like another like alien bounty hunter 
like cast member somewhere because he I think he fills like a, a a niche that no one else does. So I I would I was happy with that sword mini. Yeah, I loved him in the sword mini series. There were yeah. other events. I would be I would be content to see Death's Head uh, participating in the future. And speaking of the future, for the future. Uh, we're going to go ahead and move on to our next segment, which is discussing the Rise of the Planet of the Apes trailer. I think the trailer looks pretty cool. I, I wasn't sure what to think about it. I know uh, uh, Justin has mentioned this in the past, that I'm pretty much anti-remake. And uh, just to bring it full circle, I just want to let everybody know that one of the first movies that sort of created and made my anti-remake status opinion you know my my philosophy of not going to support remakes with my money was the burton planet of the apes remake i was i was really really excited about it i was basically like i i was cheering every time i saw a billboard in la and you know every time i saw a bus you know with the little poster on it you know i was telling the you know the girl i was hanging out with at the time i was like this is gonna be awesome I love Planet of the Apes, and they all kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And when we finally went and watched the movie, you know, I thought it was pretty terrible, you know. So, I, you know, I, I felt really let down, and, you know, by the time I got around to watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, I just said, you know what, remakes are lame. I'm going to stop giving my money to remakes and just not watching them. And for the most part, I've been pretty pretty solid about that rule. I've broken it once or twice to go take my dad to a birthday movie here and there or whatever it was, but for the most part, I've pretty much held true to that. But as far as the new trailer goes, uh, the Rise of the Planet of the Apes kind of looks like a remake of Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, which is one of my favorite Planet of the Apes movies, so that could have the potential to be really, really awesome, or it could have the potential to really, really, really disappoint me when I finally go see it. So it, it's it's kind of a, you know, all or nothing for me. Um, but the, the CGI they showed in the small snippets don't look too bad to me, and I, I do like James Franco a lot. I think I think he looks like he's going to be playing the Governor Breck role, if you've ever seen Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. And, uh, you know, me and my buddy uh, Michael Vargas, who loves Spider-Man, I'm just going to throw out a nod to him because he's the one who coined this phrase, but he loves Drunk Harry. That's what we call him <laughs> in Spider-Man too. And so we, we both really like Franco a lot, and so I, I, I'd be looking forward to a movie that, that has him in it. So, I mean, you know, and, and if it turns out that it's popular, you know, I, I'd kind of look forward to maybe a sequel to that movie that's more like the original Paul Dean script was for the final Apes movie. Because I guess the way it originally worked was at the end of Conquest, it was supposed to be like, you know, they basically take over violently. But by the next movie, it was kind of like, oh, we're all living together sort of harmoniously, going to school, and war could break out, but everything's kind of cool. So they made it a little more kid-friendly. It's kind of like, you know, Ewoks and Return of the Jedi, like they lightened it up for the last installment to sell toys. But I think the original script was kind of going to be full circle, where Caesar basically was uh, a tyrant whose power had corrupted him. So it's like where he you know, started out being the abused party, it would just kind of show that power shifts aren't so much about giving people equality as they are just putting people in charge and them abusing that 
newfound power. So I'd be kind of curious to see if they could do something with that character, that Caesar character in this movie or maybe any potential sequels. Um, I, I know uh, uh, that Mike isn't isn't a big fan of the Apes franchise and might offer a counterpoint to to some of the things I've just said so I'm going to open it up to him. Um I like I've seen the original movie and I I think the original movie is okay. Uh yeah, the Burton one is pretty bad. Um and this trailer did not fill me with any, you know, anything really. Like no desire to see it, no no excitement at all. I was just kind of like eh. I, I don't know, like, when I think of Planet of the Apes, I think of, like, a post-apocalyptic world, kind of, and this one kind of looks like it's going to be, like, you know, Planet of the Apes, the Phantom Menace or something, you know, like a prequel-y kind of deal, and I don't know, that just doesn't, uh, it doesn't appeal to me, and um, I don't, I don't, I'm not too much of a fan of James Franco, actually, so I, I will disagree with you there, Derek, uh, I don't know, when I saw him, I was like, oh... You okay? And you're <laughs> you're the, yeah you're the dude making the ape ser the ape intelligence serum or whatever the hell it is and okay well sure I I don't know it, it seems like it seems like a miscast I don't know like I don't even know what character he's gonna be in that movie but as soon as I saw him I was like I don't buy you in that role. <laughs> so I don't I so I don't I don't I don't even know if I'll end up seeing it in theaters but you know we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, well we're all obviously we're all interested in different things and that's why we we do this podcast to give people different takes on things as well. I think if we all agreed then it wouldn't be that interesting. Um I'm just going to open it up to Brian too because I'm I'm not sure what what he's going to say about it and I'm kind of interested to hear his thoughts cuz I know he just watched the trailer before we started recording. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what what your take was on the trailer, Brian? Um kind of like Mike, I'm also not huge into the series. Uh I did enjoy the original Planet of the Apes so. It struck me always as like kind of like an intellectual sci-fi movie, one that really made you think. Um I watched the trailer for the new one today. And parts of it almost seem like like a horror movie would be set up. It just seems like very, very different and like not true at all to what like the original movie's purpose was and like the theme. Um, so I can't say I'm really interested in it yet. Uh, some trailers have uh, changed my mind over um, my preconceived notions, though. Like the second Green Lantern trailer really changed my thoughts about that movie. So I suppose there's still a chance that could happen with this one. But off the first off the first trailer I saw today, I don't think I'm likely to see it. Yeah, it's funny. My dad saw that Green Lantern trailer last night while we were watching Smallville, and he kind of looked at me and goes, ooh, that looks way better than Green Hornet did. (laughs) So so I was like, oh, that kind of actually got my dad's seal of approval, which I found funny. Um, But... Uh, I, I was just going to ask you, Brian, because uh, I brought it up. I'm just kind of curious. Have you have you seen any of the original Planet of the Apes movies? Like, have you seen Conquest of the no, Planet of the Apes? No, I've Ape? seen the very first one, but I haven't seen any of the others. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, because I think, I, I, I mean, you know, I could be wrong, but from the vibe I got from the trailer, it seems to be kind of a remake or a, a retelling of almost the, the Conquest movie, which is basically the, the, the way the, the pattern goes in the movies is the, the first two movies – you know, take place obviously in the, you know, the future of, uh, you know, apocalyptic, you know, earth setting or whatever. But by the third movie, the apes kind of time travel back to 1972. And then by the fourth movie, you know, their son 
is the one, you know, the, the sole talking ape. Mm-hmm. The reason why he can talk is because, you know, his parents were from the future and they could talk to as well. Um, and so, you know, that basically is the kind of revolt movie, you know, of, of the series. It's kind of the darkest movie in the series, too. So it's kind of like, you know, the, the Empire Strikes Back of the yeah. movie or the, the Gundam of the movie. You know, it's the kind of heavy um, you know, movie of the, of the franchise, I think. And so that, that, those kind of movies, I guess, especially even when I was younger or, you know, I guess in my college years, you know, my twenties, I always found those, you know, movies really appealing, you know, the one where it gets, gets really dark and stuff like that. And that's just kind of, I mean, now maybe I'm, I'm a little more inclined to focus on the lighter side of things. Um, but, uh, Justin, I know you're a big apes fan like I am. So uh, why don't you give us your thoughts on on what you thought of the trailer and, you know, maybe some things you might be looking forward to? I think we're pretty much on the same page here, Derek. Uh, I'm a big Eggs fan, and it it does seem like a kind of a remake or retelling, reinterpretation of Conquest. Um, When I first heard that they were making a new Apes movie, I got mm, very scared. Because I guess the the lingering pain of Tim Burton's fiasco kind of was still haunting me, so I was like, "Oh, here we go again." You and guys are then, too hard on Marky Mark. Give him a break. <laughs> <laughs> no, my my buddies would just make fun of me for Tim Roth, you know, sniffing people. The whole <laughs> yeah. That's that's what I was like. No, dude, you don't understand. Apes are great. It's like, no, dude, Tim Roth is just gonna sniff me to death. So, yeah. <laughs> No, the, the 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 bestiality, you know. Oh uh, yeah. Getting it up, mm. uh, with uh, the the female ape, you know. So. And when they uh, when they said that all the apes were going to be in CGI, I was like, oh well, that's that's killed my interest in this completely. But then the trailer came out, and I was like, oh, this looks kind of interesting. It does look uh, very much like a different movie because, uh, like. You know, one of you said it looks. It seems kind of like a weird, creepy horror movie. You know, there was a scene in the trailer where there was a ape watching some humans sleep. I'm like, that's right. It's really creepy, and it it doesn't really feel like it belongs in the ape universe. But I'm still excited for it. I'm still going to see it. Oh, I said, I said the ape verse. Yeah. Is that what it's? Is that the technical term for it? The ape verse, or? Yeah, I think so. Ape verse. <laughs> I, I was just going to say that uh, I was like the the monkey, you know, hovering over somebody. I'm like, is that kind of like monkey shine where they have like the little little doll that claps the symbols and stuff? <laughs> it's kind of like creepy like that, I guess. I do know this time I'm not going to make the same mistake with the Tim Burton movie. The Tim Burton movie, yeah, I was I, all excited, and uh, I ran out and bought all the toys. I was like, I'll buy some for myself, and I'll buy a bunch more to put away and make some money on. And then the movie bombed, and I, I'm still stuck with those toys. <laughs> so if they make anything, you know, tie-in related with this one, I'm going to be like very cautious. If you get some yep. duct tape, you could maybe combine them to a, a, like a Grand Max type shape <laughs> or a Grand Max type shape. <laughs> Damn you! My God, he's made of apes. <laughs> <laughs> you maniac! You taped it up. <laughs> <laughs> your prayers, you heathen baboons. So I guess that's everybody's take on uh, on the the Rise of the Planet of the Apes trailer, and I think we're just going to go ahead and uh, everybody. You know, normally this this part of the show we like to talk about uh, what our awesome thing of the week is, 
And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, turn it over to Mike. Mike, uh, what's going on in your neck of the woods? What What is uh, really floating your boat this week, uh, as they say? This week uh, it was revealed that um, there's going to be a new Rurouni Kenshin anime. And I'm assuming it's going – there's no details yet, but I'm assuming it, they're going to take, like, the Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood route and, like, directly adapt the manga, which is awesome because – uh, anyone who's seen the first Roroni Kenshin manga knows, uh, or anime, oh, yes. knows that after the Shishio arc, they just go into filler, and then they never animate the last arc of the manga, uh, the Revenge arc, which is totally awesome and like even more epic than the Shishio arc. But instead, we get stuck with guys with magic rulers and stupid crap. So, um, yeah, Justin, Justin, you're talking about buying a bunch of. Uh you know, Planet of the Apes, uh, Burton movie merchandise and being stuck with mm-hmm. it. Like I remember, uh, I, I used to think when I would watch anime that I, I was always like, Oh, you know, the last, the last arc of an anime is always awesome. You know, everybody dies, everything cool happens. That's when the serious shit goes down. And it's kind of like what Mike's saying, you know, in the, <laughs> in the manga, the last, you know, run of Roni Kenshin is awesome. So me, not knowing about filler or that, you know, it's not finished or whatever you want to call it, I went out and bought, like, the the last couple DVDs of Roni Kenshin thinking, like, oh, this is going to be the shit because we rented the first couple uh, uh, DVDs at uh, Odyssey Video, me and my buddy, and watched it. And we're like, this is the greatest show ever. Like, this is awesome. And so we watched it. We got really into it. And we're like, and I'm like, oh, they only have like the first, you know, I forget what it was at the time, but it was back when they had like, you know, three or four episodes of DVD. And we were like, oh, they only have like the first, you know, 10 DVDs or whatever it was. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, it's cool. This show's awesome. Like, I'm going to buy like the last three or four or whatever. And then we watched <laughs> them and it was like, oh, you know, and I, I eventually ended up trading them back in because I thought those were he fights guys that use what was it like feng shui magic rulers or something at the end what, what? Yeah. I, I don't even remember i i'm a it's like i'm a i'm a disgruntled veteran i've i've blocked it out of my memory I know, but so. if if anyone is if someone is only familiar with the animation and you've seen like the two ovas the good ones uh trust and betrayal that like you know are awesome uh the the final arc in the manga really heavily uses those as background uh, a threat from Kenshin's past comes back and some heavy shit goes down and it's totally awesome. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that animated. Cool. Uh, well, and then, and then another thing to hope for is that maybe uh, the States actually gets those trust and betrayal Blu-rays that they're talking about too, because that would be really nice. And just, uh, just to transition into my favorite thing for the week, uh, this is a callback to Tony. So, uh, Tony, uh, just just give us a few words. Awesome, Tony. Thanks so much. So, basically, what what was last uh, the last time uh, we talked about our favorite guilty sci-fi pleasures? Uh, Tony brought up the movie Battle Beyond the Stars. Well, my awesome thing for the week is I, I'm happy to announce that uh, the 30th anniversary special edition of Battle Beyond the Stars is going to be released on DVD and Blu-ray, I found out, on uh, July 12th, 2011. So I'm actually looking forward to seeing this film on the majesty that is high definition. <laughs> so we can see little little John Boy fly around in his uh, feminine-shaped starship and uh, beat up John Saxon and his band of Klingons. <laughs> 
So yeah, so that that's my uh, favorite thing for the week. Uh, Justin, uh, what, what's going on with you this week? What's what's really cool in your neck of the woods? Well, no surprise. Uh, my favorite thing is uh, a book. It's called uh, Prospero Lost, and it's by L. Yagi Lamplighter. And the basic premise is it goes from uh, uh, William Shakespeare's Tempest was not just a story. It was actually like a historical telling of real events. And from there, it takes the characters of uh, Miranda and Prospero. And uh, they're kind of like a family of, I guess you'd say, like, they're like the Sam and Dean of this universe. They go around fighting, you know, supernatural bad guys, fixing supernatural problems. And uh, I'm only about 150 pages into it, uh, but it's really very good. If you're at all interested in Shakespeare, like, you know, you are, Derek, uh, I would actually recommend this. It's very good. Yeah, that actually that actually sounds pretty cool. I mean, uh, the, the Tempest kind of is is uh, uh, analogy for you know I guess uh, the colonization and the the you know expansion of the U.S. Mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I, I, it's interesting to hear you describe it like Sam and Dean Winchester. You know that they go around and, and take out uh, you know supernatural stuff too. That actually sounds really cool. So what's uh, what's your interesting, awesome thing for the week, Brian? Do you have anything to share with us? Uh, yeah, I've been gaming this week, like most weeks. Um, I actually got a new game in. It's called Star Hope, the or no Star Ocean, the Last Hope International version for PlayStation Three. Um, it's a it's kind of like a sci-fi role-playing game. Um, this is it's actually an ongoing series. I think it goes all the way back to the Super Nintendo. Um, this is the first time I've bought it though. And this um, version of the game is actually like a prequel to all the other games, so it's like a good starting on point for anyone who wants to jump in on it. Um, basically, uh, it's Earth, but in the future, I think around 2040 or something's when the first story events take place. Um, there's World War III. Basically, their Earth's destroyed with nuclear radiation and fallout. Um, so they, they have to band together and basically go out and explore for new worlds. Uh, and that's kind of where you jump in and actually start playing the game. I'm really liking it quite a lot. Um, the the biggest way to de- or the best way to describe it to people who like RPGs is to say that this game is what Final Fantasy 13 should have been. This game is more Final Fantasy than Final Fantasy 13 was. And uh, what I mean. So, uh, so the game, the game out, Final Fantasy's Final Fantasy, basically. Ex- is what exactly. Um, it's it's actually made by the same company. It's Square Enix. But um, oh, okay. Final Fantasy Thirteen got dogged on quite a bit because, unlike previous iterations of the series, is extremely linear. There's hardly no exploration. You just like basically were an arrow shot down a hallway to the end of the game, and a lot of people really did not like that. This game is the complete opposite. It it really reminds me of, like old school Japanese RPGs. Tons of exploration, you know, tons of towns people to talk to, walking around everywhere. Um, great battle system, so I'm really, really enjoying it. Cool, that that sounds pretty awesome. So it looks like this wraps up our, our episode for uh, this week. Uh, we just want to give a shout-out to people that have been kind enough to send us emails, comments, and suggestions. Uh, we just want to send a quick thanks out to Chris or HP. Uh, he gave us uh, a new perspective on uh, Brian Michael Bendis. He kind of let us know that he thought it was 
his gateway drug into reading Marvel comics. So we appreciate that perspective. Uh, you know, for me, I, I think, you know, Spider-Man in general was my kind of gateway drug to the Marvel universe. I was thinking about that when he wrote that. And also, uh, you know, if, if, uh, comics are gateway drugs at this point, you know, I'm a, I'm a, Basically, a, a washed-up, you know, jittery crack fiend <laughs> who uh, can't really get off on anything unless he, you know, shoots some heroin in his toes. So, you know, just just so you're aware, you know, don't take anything I say the wrong way. That's just uh, that's just who I am when it comes to comics. Sometimes, um, uh, we also want to give a shout out to uh, Anthony Williamson, Ray's Rogers, who uh, sends us lots of comments and also a lot of support on the new episode. So we appreciate it, Anthony. And also uh, thanks to Andy Clowell, a.k.a. Big Bot, who provided us our roundtable question for this week. Uh, we had a good time discussing the question, and we really appreciate it. So uh, anybody else that wants to send in suggestions, comments, or questions, anything you want us to discuss or talk about, uh, you can email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to continue to listen to the podcast and follow us, uh, since we skipped a couple weeks, we have a couple written blogs from myself and Justin on various comic series. Uh, you can continue to follow us at www.fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. So thanks, guys, for listening to us, and we will see you next week. Peace. Also peace. Brian Breakdown. Derek WC. Derek Underwing Mike. Justin Grimlock. Oh, the professor getting a little cranky. Gamma's getting a little sleepy, Cher. <laughs>